0: Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans. humans. It's me, Ellie Krug, talking to you from the lovely bunker at AM 950 in scenic Eden Prairie, Minnesota, on a relatively dreary Saturday. I am thrilled. Thrilled to be here with you. And as soon as my bumper music is over, there we go. be able to talk with you. Uh, And, and, you know, I'll tell you something. I've got a lot on the plate today to talk with you about. Uh, And you're hearing me live. Like, live. And so that means you can call me, believe it or not, at 952-946-6205. I would love, love to talk with you absolutely would love to do that um but you know something I, I i did a talk i've got a lot on the plate i'm going to talk to you about a lot of different things it's kind of a hodgepodge um because uh uh life has been incredibly busy for me um but i i, I did a talk yesterday to the Minnesota State Bar Association and it was a uh, and i'm going to come back later on the show and talk about what happened uh at the end of that talk, but during the talk, okay, as I was taking questions, um, somebody asked me why I use the word humans instead of persons, you know, and and, and they, they seemed a little bit, you know, like, what's the thing with humans? And I just said, well, first of all, we're all humans. (laughs) We are. And, um, And secondly, I said that I really thought that the word was far better than persons because, you know, we don't talk about person kindness or person compassion. We talk about human kindness and human compassion. And I think that it's a whole lot better when we just use the word humans because we can get out of how we group and label humans. Just talk to us and refer to us all as a group of people. All right. Well, there you go. I just thought I'd mention that because my signature introduction has always been, Hello, humans. You you got it. You know it. All right. What are we going to talk about today? Well, I've got a featured idealist. Uh, it's going to be not as complete as I would ordinarily, but <clears throat> as I said, life has been busy. We're going to talk about, uh, yet again, how... Uh, African Americans about black people get uh, the short end of things as it comes to having their homes appraised. There's a story that's come out of Baltimore <clears throat> um, There's a foundation that I came across courtesy of uh, a long time uh newsletter ripple the my newsletter ripple long time reader um, that uh that is promoting the reading of banned books, and I think that that's kind of cool. Talk about what's happened with me this week. Um, in my work and all of that stuff, but it's free agency. I'd love to talk with you. Um, and, uh, not that we have to dwell on it. Okay. But if you've seen, if you're out there and listening and you've seen one of my, uh, uh signs, yard signs from my campaign, uh, school board, um, Uh, for the District 112 in Eastern Carver County. I'd just love to know if you've seen the yard sign. That's all. We don't have to have a long discussion about it, but if you've seen the yard sign, I'd love to know if you have. So, all right. Well, let's start with uh, this. I'm not going to start with our featured idealist today because i got to get going here a little bit. And uh, so you may recall that um, for more than a decade... I wrote for Laminar Magazine, Uh, you know, the largest LGBTQ publication in the Midwest. Very, at at one time, I think it may be changing, but, you know, had a high reputation. Owned by a gay man uh, who's long owned it. And you may recall that I, I, I would write about all kinds of things about trying to make my way through the world as a transgender person. And I had a monthly column titled uh, um, Skirting the Issues. Well-received. People would come up to me and say, I saw your column in Lavender. Thank you for writing what you did, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then you may recall that, uh, I don't know, about a month ago or so, I I shared with you that I had quit writing for Lavender magazine. And I had quit because... um, because I had published uh, and they had printed a column uh, titled Fading to Black about how our LGBTQ kids, particularly our trans kids, are under attack in America, how they're being marginalized and how we need to protect them. And that column drew the ire of a, a conservative blog. And then the the edict down from the editor to all the writers, not just Ellie Krug, was we are a life and leisure magazine. And nothing, no longer can anything political, quote unquote political, like writing about protecting queer kids is political, but nonetheless, no more political stuff. And I, you know, this had come down a number of other times, uh, but not as strong as this time. And I just said, I'm done. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to be muzzled. I'm not going to have to, I'm not going to bump up against some, some rules that, um, that the publish that the publisher, not the editor, because the editor takes, uh, his orders from the publisher that the publisher decided that he didn't want anything political. And so, okay, well, you know, I understand lifetime leisure magazine. Sure. Okay. And then uh, this week, my friend, Frank, excuse me, Ryan, Ryan, who is Frank's husband, my friend, Ryan, Ryan and Frank, very dear friends of mine, sent me a text. And said, "Ellie, I assume you've seen this, but if not, here you go. And it is a text of Lavender Magazine front cover. It's fall and arts and entertain fall arts and entertainment issue, which would of course fit with what they're trying to do. But do you know on the back cover of Lavender Magazine? Do you know what's on there? Do you know do you know what's on the back cover of Lavender Magazine this time? Is you know this issue?" An ad for Scott Jensen. Yeah, and a full page. They got the full page. And it's got, you know, it's got the log cabin Republicans pictured at the top. And then, and then the, the ad's like, as governor of Minnesota, Scott Jensen will. Kind of goes through, like, get tougher on crime and, you know, all kinds, you know. Vote for Scott Jensen. If that ain't political, I don't know what is. And uh, Lavender Magazine, shame on you. Shame on you. You muzzle one of your writers who wrote for you for more than a decade because you thought I was being too political, writing about the need to protect queer kids. And then you turn around and accept a whole bunch of money, I'm sure, from Scott Jensen. And you put that on the back cover of your magazine. I am appalled. I am. And I I, I guarantee you, Scott Jensen gets elected. LGBTQ people are going to be at the bottom of a very long list. So, And maybe at the top of some other lists around marginalization. Just saying. Okay? So anyway, I needed to get that off my chest. Uh, Ryan, thank you for sending that along to me. I really, really appreciated that. Okay. All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break and come back, and I've got some other stuff for you. Now, listen, I'd love to hear from you. 952-946-6205. Ellie Krug here on Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely AM 950. We'll be back in a sec. We're back. Ellie 2.0 Radio. Hey, hey, we've got a caller on the line. We've got a regular Lynette from Chaska. Are you there? I'm here, Ellie. Hi. Hey, Hi. Lynette. How are you? Hi. It's been a little bit since we've talked. How how are you doing?
1: I know. Well, I don't have to go to work today, so I can actually take a little time here to do other things fun, like talk to you. Oh,
0: well, how wonderful.
1: So. <laughs> um, yes, I am one of the humans calling. One thing that hu- usually another referral to humans is, the human ego, which we don't usually say the person ego. We say the human ego, the human condition. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what you were talking about before. So I get the human thing. I, yeah, I, I thanks. A good thing it wasn't eating when, when you were saying the Lavender magazine <laughs> that the, at the advertiser on the back is Scott Jensen. And I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> oh, my right. God. But see, here's the thing. See, and whoever decided made that decision is Republican, and they don't think. See, what they believe in isn't isn't political, and it's it's safe and it's comfortable and it's fine. And and what you're talking about, or what you know, liberal-minded people talk about, is is that's somehow political, and it's also how people refer to. I've noticed, like with um, when liberal-minded people are um, protesting something. That's referred to as a riot by the conservatives, whereas, you know, January 6th is not a riot, even though, of course, it was. Right. And so that's, that's the, the ironic, strange, bizarre thing is, yes, they tell you we don't do political things, but whoever made that decision, they, they somehow think their beliefs aren't political. So...
0: Well, the person who made that decision is a gay man, and so um, oh. you know, uh, it, the the uh, that that ad would not be on there without the consent uh, of the uh, publisher, and so I'm absolutely positive of that. And and mm. uh, you know, it's just, I mean, hey, you know, you want to have the ad on on Lavender, knock yourself out, but don't don't mm. marginalize your writers by saying, well, we don't want you doing anything that's political. And by the way, if you're LGBTQ plus in america right now in 2022 that is political okay and you know particularly if you're transgender like me that's like really political you know um i mean there are 18 states that have passed laws banning transgender children mainly trans girls from playing in sports 18 states there are four states that have banned uh gender affirming care for transgender kids you know anybody under 18 you know, I mean, it's just it. it so anyway, just,
1: I I don't even have <laughs> words for it. It's just it's so it's it's hypocritical. It's mean, and I just don't understand that way of thinking. I just I I don't know. Ever since I was a kid, I just never understood why people choose humans choose to act that way. I don't I don't get it. I, no, I understand that it happens, and it happens all the time, and it's just so bizarre, but I suppose, you know, the thing is, though, it always comes down to if people have, you know, humans in their life that, you know, would be LGBTQ or all these things that people think they're afraid of or against, then they would learn that it's not terrible and they, they're they okay.
0: No, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, Lynette, I, so, um, you know, when I'm not on the radio and when I wasn't writing for Labrador, uh, um, yeah, my job. You know, the, what pays the bills is I go across North America talking about human inclusivity. There's that word again, and about sometimes about being transgender and all of that stuff. And you know, I gave a talk on Wednesday uh, to 200 property managers for a company. Wonderful people, nice, uh, nice group. But do you know, Lynette, after the talk, two men and one of them had to be in his early 60s the other certainly looked like he was in his mid to late 50s two men came up to me and told me that they had transgender daughters adult daughters mm-hmm. and told me that they love their kids you know and yeah. i mean to get i mean yeah. it, it, it so it, the world is changing right mm-hmm. You know, and people yeah. just as you say, when you have somebody in your family, your perspective about the world changes dramatically. And yeah. both of these people, they sounded very protective of their of their child. And you know, my response always when I have a parent who comes to me and says I have a trans person in my life, you know, my response always is, "Thank you for loving your young human, you know, your child mm-hmm. or the person in your life, yeah. um, because it's not a given." Trust me. It's not a mm-hmm. given that people who come yeah. out as trans are going to be loved. So
1: Right. Well, I'm glad that they're, that that has happened in their life so that they can understand that. I mean, I don't – I'm trying to think if I – I probably do, yes. I think there was – yeah, there was someone I dated years ago. He moved to a different state, though. Um, but, I mean, if someone is saying, you know, this is the reality to them, I don't know why it's so – there are humans that just – don't believe that. Like it's like you're just making it up to get attention of some sort. I, I don't understand how you can't go look. This is what someone is telling me about their life, and and I don't understand. Like I work with kids, you know, and and I know right away I, if I teach driving, and if someone gets in the car right away, I know. I just know that you know this. You know this young human is. It could be LGBTQ, but I just know that they're not, you know, whatever, you know, and, and that's okay, and it's fine. Everybody, all of us are human. It's I don't, it, it's just, I think it's, I think it's lovely, actually, to have these different experiences with different people and their, their different perspectives. I think it's lovely. I'm not afraid of it. I think it's fun. It's interesting. And the fear is what always confuses me, like, why why is it
0: Fearful. Sure. Well, what I'm hearing from you is that you you know you're willing to be curious about the world, and you're willing to allow that curiosity to take you where it does. And you know, I mean, curiosity. What what else
1: do we have to do when we're here?
0: Well, but curiosity. What? But there are a lot of people who aren't curious. People who are. You know, know. they're not. They're not willing to um, get beyond uh, a very narrow band. And you know because their world has always been narrow and or they have fear or their yeah. modeling that they got was the modeling was that you stay very narrow rather than embrace the world and so, um, although I shouldn't talk, I mean, I'm pretty boring when it comes to my food selections. Just let <laughs> ah, you know that, too. okay? All right? <laughs> so let's
1: uh, uh, be curious. That's, that's what we need to all work on. Be curious. Yeah, yeah,
0: don't give me any sriracha, okay? I just I just need to tell you that, all right? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: all right, Ellie. Well, all right. well, great. Lovely chatting with you.
0: Great, Lynette. Thanks for calling. I really appreciate it. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. Well, listen, um, I, I'm happy and I would love to listen, hear from more listeners because it's a dreary, rainy Saturday in Minnesota. I mean, come on. Uh, the number is 952-946-6205. <clears throat> um, you know, I just, I just had to lead off with this Lavender story. And I just – the hypocrisy is um, just uh, – for me, it's pretty overwhelming. So, um, okay, uh, let me just see where we're at here. All right, well, I've got enough time to do a really quick story about this organization called Annie's Foundation, and um, Annie's Foundation is, uh, their, their tagline is, we read banned books, and I need to give credit to um, someone named John Edwards, who is a dean at the Drake University Law School, who has been a long longtime friend and... A Ripple Reader. In fact, I went down to Drake, what, at this point, six years ago and uh, trained for a day. Actually, that was the day after the presidential election, um, which I write about in my second book, which is still not done. But anyway, but enough about that. So Annie's Foundation is in memory of Ann Lowry Smith, um, who apparently was a fixture in um, Johnston uh, or Johnson, Iowa at their school board meetings, excuse me, it's Johnston, Iowa, J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N, come on, you're from Iowa, you should know this. And what they're doing is um, uh, they're having a a kickoff event, not that you're able, you know, I mean, most of you are, many of you are in Minnesota, but some of you maybe are in Iowa. They're having a kickoff event at the Johnston Farmers Market on uh, Tuesday, September 20th uh, to... Kick off the foundation to, to get, you know, and they're doing a banned book read-in. I mean, don't you love it? I mean, they're going to have banned books there and they're going to do a read-in. We, and it goes, we read banned books. We want you to read banned books too. <laughs> Our mission, colon to ensure members of our community have unhindered access to books with characters and subjects that reflect the diversity and complexity of the world around them. I just got done speaking with Lynette about the power of curiosity, right? And that's really what this is about. It's about, you know, you've got to be curious about the world because whether you like it or not, the world is diverse. Whether you want it or not, you're co-workers, if you're a young person, you know, or if you're still in high school, the people you're going to work with are going to be diverse. Whether you like it or not, management will be diverse. People from all walks will be in your life. And why don't you get used to understanding that and maybe trying to understand a little bit of where they're coming from in their lives experiences. It goes on to say, Annie's foundation was started by a few suburban moms who got fed up with local efforts to keep books out of libraries. We decided to fight back by giving back. Annie's Foundation plans to distribute free copies of banned books and challenge books for readers of all ages. And they've got, you know, on the cover here, you know, on the website, they've got Ellie Wiesel's book, Night, banned, Night, Unbelievable. Okay, all right, well, there's my cue. I guess I'm taking a break, and so when I come back, uh, we'll talk about our featured idealist of the week, okay? You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, on AM 950. Thank you. 2.0 Radio on AM 950, Massey Star. I could listen to her all day. But, okay. Hey, listen, uh, I I did not give you the website for Annie's Foundation because I think it's worthwhile for you to check it out. And the website is www.anniesfoundation.com. So go check it out. Um, hey, if you can go down to Johnston, Iowa for the... Uh, inaugural fundraiser for the foundation, please do that. But if not, you know, see if you can support them online. Okay. And John Edwards, again, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so very much. Okay. All right. So let me, uh, I am now going to move into talking about curiosity here. I'm going to move into talking about uh, an idealist. He's Indian and I'm going to murder a lot of names here because uh, I am not used to uh, speak talking about Indian related um, uh, 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 physical locations. But we're going to do that. OK, I'm going to try. So I am I'm going to share with you about uh, someone who has become known as the forest man of India. Uh, his legal name is Jadhav. Uh, Jadav. Pang, P-A-Y-N-G, but they call him Molai, M-O-L-A-I, Molai. That is his nickname. And uh, the story goes that uh, he's, uh, and what is he, he's about 62 years old, 63. The story goes that in 1979, Molai, then 19, encountered a large number of snakes that had died due to excessive heat after flood Floods washed them onto a treeless sandbar. Now, this is a big sandbar. It's about about 1,400 acres worth of sandbar. Um, And uh, that is when, okay, he saw the snakes, he saw the sandbar, all of that stuff, okay? Uh, And that's when uh, Molai uh, decided that he would plant seedlings on the sandbar. He decided they would plant 20 seedlings. Now, the sandbar at one time had a lot of trees. It, had a, it was a f- part of a forest, but it had been deforested by people cutting down trees for firewood and other things. So it went into sort of pseudo-desert sandbar, okay? And so Molai, back in 1979, plants, plants 20 bamboo trees. And the story goes that this idealist, wanting to make a difference in the world, every day planted another tree on the sandbar. And if you look up, so you can go, there's, there's documentary about this man, but you can find something, a two minute thing on Twitter. If you go and look at it, okay, you can see a picture of what this sandbar, I mean, it looked like a sandbar. There was hardly anything there. Scrub, you know, a couple of bushes, no trees. You will see what it looked like back in 1979. And then through planting a tree, a tree, a day there, it is now turned into a forest, like a big forest, like you've got huge trees and you've got all kinds of fauna. And it is now, all right, home to Bengal tigers, rhinoceros, a 100 deer and rabbits, monkeys, birds, okay? And there are several thousand trees. Uh, Bamboo itself covers 300 hectares. And so, and then there's a herd of a hundred elephants that regularly visits the forest. now, this is to me remember what it, what is an idealist? What does an idealist do? An idealist is somebody who works to make a difference in the world to make the world better okay who who purposely seeks to make the world better i you know you take a sandbar, you start planting trees one a day, and then soon you have a forest. Come on. That's making the world absolutely better. And so, um, uh, uh, you know, he, he at one time lived in that forest and the family moved moved to somewhere else. Um, he has a wife and three children. And, uh, and what he does is he, you know, he has cattle and buffalo on his farm and he sells milk from that for his livelihood. That's the only income. Nonetheless, he's gotten awards for his work. Okay. He has been... He's got the one of the highest awards that a, that a civilian can get, uh, in uh, in India. Okay, but Molai's life—he's been made the subject of a number of documentaries. Okay, uh, and uh, there's a there's a documentary film that came out in 2012, the Molai Forest. Okay, um, in addition to that, he's the subject of a children's book titled "The Boy Who Grew a Forest: The, two, the True Story of Jadev Pang." Uh, um, uh, you know, and and uh, another documentary titled "Foresting Life." Okay, uh, this and another documentary titled "Forest Man." You know, and the U.S. Uh, pledged uh, some money uh, to help uh, kickstart a program uh, around that film. And so, listen, you know, uh, I don't have much more other than this, but you can go just Google the forest man, okay? Or Molai, M-O-L-A-I. Google just Molai the forest man and you're going to be able to find all kinds of stuff. You'll find stuff on on Wikipedia, but you'll come across the documentaries as well. Why do I share this with you? Well, first of all, this man's an idealist. But secondly, think about this. The idea of planting one tree a day what if, metaphorically, you planted one act of kindness a day? What if you did that? Is it possible that those acts of kindness would grow in those whom you plant the acts? And that over time, you would have a forest? of kindness by humans, not persons, humans. Is that possible? I think it is. I do. You know, we all ripple to each other in good or bad ways. But we ripple. Humans do not not ripple. We do. And I just thought, I got to tell you, I just thought it was, it's an incredible story. So, Jadav Pang, J A D A V P A Y E N G, is his legal name. Call him, but his nickname Molai. And uh, so there you go. Okay, so let's move on. I've got some other things to talk with you about here. Um, uh, so I want to talk about a story that I, I grabbed. You, you know I'm a Twitter junkie, right? I grabbed through Twitter. Um, Back uh, the last week of August, it's a New York Times story uh, by Deborah Kamen. And the title is Home Appraised with a Black Owner, $472,000, with a White Owner, $750,000. Now, in prior – at least in the ripple I've written before about this, about discrimination by appraisers, 98% of the appraisal industry is white men. Okay, 98%. And we all know how appraisers can absolutely make or break our lives. Um, I happened uh, to sell a condo in downtown Minneapolis, uh, I don't know, six years ago, and the appraisal came in, yeah, way less, less than what I thought it was going to for the buyer, and that screwed up the whole deal, you know, and I ended up having to reduce the price so that they could get their financing you know so appraisers can make a big difference but this story uh, that's in the New York Times tells the story about a Maryland couple uh, 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 both of them are PhDs one of them uh, uh, the, the man dr. Connolly is a professor at John Hopkins University it turns out he's an expert on redlining you may recall that redlining is a form of white supremacy a way of of uh, you literally drawing lines around neighborhoods and saying that only um, people of color can live in those, you know. That's where you direct people of color, and in white neighborhoods, you keep them away. Well, this house in Baltimore, in a, you know, in a very upscale neighborhood of Baltimore where it's predominantly white, uh, the uh, uh, Dr. Connolly and his wife, uh, Shani Mott, who is also a Ph.D., so we've got Dr. Connolly and Dr. Mott, husband and wife, they bought their house for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars in twenty seventeen. <clears throat> they put in forty thousand dollars worth of improvements. And they wanted to do a little refi and so and and the value of homes in Baltimore had gone up forty two percent in five years. So they're like, hey, you know what? We you know, let's see what we can how much we can refi the house and, and all of that. So they and and they had a you know, they had a bank that was ready to loan them, but of course you gotta go through an appraisal. And uh, the appraiser came in. The Mott's were there, you know, Dr. Connolly and and Dr. Mott, husband and wife. They were there with their children in the house. The house has got, you know, photos of black family members. It's got other things indicative uh, that the home is owned by black people. And uh, the appraiser came in, and his appraisal came in at $472,000. So only $22,000 more than what they paid for the house in 2017, Um, that's after they also put $40,000 worth of improvements in. So, so, you know, so, so they were, they were, the appraisal came in underwater, came under in under less than what they paid for the house together with the appraisals or with the improvements they had done. So Dr. Mott, remember, excuse me, Dr. Conley, remember he's an expert on redlining. He decided that he would, uh see if he could do something different. So he decided that they would scrub the house of anything to indicate that a black family lived there. They brought in pictures of white, of like white family, you know, members, of one of his colleagues at John Hopkins. So he enlisted the help of a white professor at John Hopkins University. And uh, he, and had the white professor at the house when the appraiser came with pictures of the white appraiser, of the white, professor's family in the house so that it looked like the house was owned by, owned by a white family. And you know what that appraisal came in at? <laughs> that appraisal came in at um, uh, $750,000, almost $300,000 more than what the appraisal was when the home was deemed to be owned by black people. Now this thing about uh, uh racial discrimination white supremacy alive and well in the home appraisal business this is something that's actually gotten the attention of President Biden and um uh you know earlier this year President Biden Vice President Har- uh, Kamala Harris said uh, that they want the appraisal industry to be overhauled that they want they want it to be they want it to be changed with the way that they're doing their appraisals, I mean, I'm sure it involves a lot of training and holding people to, uh, to account. There's, and there are a number of lawsuits going on by families of color who are the subject of lowball appraisals, obviously, because they're families of color. And so um, this is real. It's important to understand that and know that. Um, we all have to deal with appraisers, okay? That's one thing. It's another thing to have to deal with them and to deal with racial discrimination as a consequence. Okay, there's my cue. We're going to take a break and we come back, uh, talk a little bit about my work this week, okay? Hey, you can call me still, 952-946-6205. I'd love to hear from you before I go. Thanks. We're back. LE 2.0 Radio. You know what? I've said this before, but I'm compelled to say it again. This station, okay, is Americana. I love coming here live because in between the breaks, all that I've got going on is listening to the ads. And what the ads are about, about... People trying to run businesses, you know, trying to feed you, trying to help remodel your house, trying to help, you know, whatever. And now I just heard about the National Legal Center, which I had nothing, no idea about. I didn't know it existed. Um, But it's about Americana. You know, it's about all of us. It's real. It's not slick. Okay, You know, you got me on this station. Thank God they allow me to be on here because, trust me, I'm not paying my way very well. And, um, and, and, you know, you get me, I'm kind of real, even though I sometimes can't speak very well, nor can I read very well and all of that. And you wouldn't know that at 19 years of education and I was a successful trial lawyer, but there you go. Anyway, do support this station. It is real. It's needed. And, uh, I'm thankful for it. I'm also thankful for you listeners. Okay, so uh, let's – what's my work today, this week? What have I done? So so the talking circuit, like the, like being live, is heating up again. So, you know, we had a pandemic, um, and I went from 98% of everything live to 100% online. I think since April of 2020, I've done, I don't know, 400-plus online talks or events it's got to be at least that many. And um, but people now want you live; they want you to come live. So, what did I do this week? So, this week, in the span of forty-eight hours, I did three talks. One at uh, for some property managers. I did that in Minneapolis. Nice group of people. And I told you earlier about as I was talking to Lynette about two men who came up to me. You know, older men came up to me that they had, and said that they had transgender adult daughters and that they loved them and that they'd been supportive of them. One of them talked to me and told me about having to leave uh, the Catholic Church as a result um, because the church, the way it views LGBTQ people, particularly transgender people. Um, So I gave that talk. Uh, that uh, that, That ended about 11.30 on Wednesday morning. I got in the car and drove directly to MSP and then got on a plane flew to Logan Airport flew to Boston got there about 7:30 at night and let me just tell you renting a car in Logan is not easy <clears throat> it's there's no like there's no uh, Hertz or Avis or whatever shuttles you got to like take up it's almost a regular bus and anyway anyway rented a car got in the car drove to Portsmouth New Hampshire got there about a quarter to ten. Uh, the restaurant closed at ten, but I got I got fed and I, we got everything. Didn't sleep very well. Got up the next morning, gave a talk to a hundred and thirty uh, ombudsmen. These are people who investigate complaints against you know government agencies and. And a number of different things. Lovely, lovely group, lovely group of people. Oh, my goodness. Let me just tell you. We did gray, area thing. I did gray area thinking on Wednesday morning. Did gray area thinking for the ombudsman in Portsmouth. But because I had to, you know, get back on the plane and I got done with the talk, and people wanted to come up and talk to me. And, and that was all fine. But I'm watching my watch because I got to go upstairs, get changed, check out, get the rental car, drive back to Boston, get on the plane and come back. Uh, to Minnesota, it was such a blur and so rushed. I didn't even get to see the ocean on that trip. I, I, and Portsmouth looked like it was a beautiful little town, but I barely saw any, any of it. Um, but got on the plane on uh, Thursday afternoon, flew back, got back to my home about 7 o'clock that night on Thursday, got up the next morning, left the house at 7 o'clock, drove to downtown Minneapolis and gave a talk yesterday. Um, to the Minnesota State Bar Association to talk about challenges that transgender people have and that they face. Now, why do I tell you all about that? Do I tell you that, you know, like, oh, I'm like really special, da-da-da? No, no. I tell you all that because I'm an idealist trying to make a difference in the world. I am. And the talk yesterday, how to, you know, I had an hour to give what would probably be a two-hour talk and that included taking questions in that hour. Um, that was about, you know, literally the challenges that transgender uh, children face in America right now. And you heard me lay out some of the statistics when I talked to Lynette from Chaska. I'm not going to redo any of that. But I want to tell you about something that did happen. <clears throat> so, I again, I got done with the talk yesterday at the Minnesota State Bar Association. Again, I had a number of people come up and talk to me afterwards and want to say, a number of different, you know, ask me questions or add something or whatever. And, you know, wonderful, you know, wonderful uh, exchanges and all that. But there was one last, one last person who waited to talk to me, and I would guess that she um, she wore a dress. Uh, she had some ink on her arms and around her neck, uh, very, very nice ink. Um, she wore a mask, and um, and she. this was in the hallway outside of where I'd spoke because there were ongoing activities with that, you know, that group. I was the first speaker of a number of that day. Um, And this person, this woman, she came up to me and she was fighting back tears. And, and I, I mean, it was clearly that she was emotional. And, and I said, can I touch you? And she she nodded and, I just pulled her in and I hugged her and she just started crying. She just started crying. And and I'm, and I'm like, we just, I, I mean, like a minute hug. And, you know, and we really didn't say anything. I just hugged her. It was nice actually to get hugged back, trust me. And But, you know, pulled away eventually and she told me that she was the mom of a, it was either a five or seven year old transgender girl, and she you know she told me some she said something to me about my work that I'm not going to share with you because it sounds very braggadocious, and I'm not going to do that, okay, but I have to tell you that woman with all the Stuff that I had done that week, and I I don't like to travel, and I have a cold, and you may hear it in my voice, all of that stuff. I got to tell you, that woman, what she said, made all of that worthwhile, made everything that's coming up with all the traveling I'm going to do worthwhile, made all the work that I've done this year worthwhile, just the one sentence that she said to me. So, thank you. I don't even know her name, but thank you. And I thanked her for loving her kid. Okay, well, listen, uh, we've got the show in the can again, as they say in the radio business. It's been great to talk to you. Uh, Thank you for listening to me, Bring me into your lives, letting my words occupy a portion of your brain. Um, Go out between now and when you hear me next, okay? Go out and make the world better. Do something good. Act with compassion and kindness. And be good to all humans. Bye-bye. Take care. Ellie signing off.